How about we give Bob a hand, everybody? They made it hard for you, I know. They didn't let you through. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, believe it or not, uh, kind of crazy, but Christmas is just four weeks away, which means we are beginning Advent season. And as I teed it up last week, I said, our Advent season is going to be a little bit different this year because typically we talk about the themes of hope, uh, joy, peace, and love. But we're doing something different this year. We're actually going to focus on the different roles assigned to Jesus, the different titles that he carries, and then what that means for us. It's sort of an Advent season, but an explanation of what the incarnation means. Incarnation is simply a big word that simply means God has come in the flesh. And the question we want to ask and answer is, so what? You know, what does that mean? Well, there's a lot that gets described in in these descriptions of Jesus. We're going to look at four of them, prophet, priest, king and savior. So what happened was during Old Testament times, the ancient people of God, God selected individual men to act on his behalf. He selected some as priests, some were prophets, some played the role of king, but only one would be savior. And the interesting thing about Jesus is that in this one individual, you see all four of these roles Assigned. So that's what makes him unique. And then the author of Hebrews, as he begins his writing to a group of Jews who had embraced Jesus as the Messiah, he gives what theologians call some of the highest Christology in the entire Bible. What Christology means is essentially, uh, who is Jesus? How can we describe him? What are the roles that he plays in the life of a believer? And so this is, uh, this is how the author of Hebrews begins in chapter 1, verse 1. He says, long ago, at many times and in many different ways, God spoke to our fathers. Again, he's writing to Jews who have embraced Jesus as the Messiah. These are words that they would be familiar with. He's referring to all those Old Testament prophets, men like Daniel, Isaiah, even Moses. He spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But now things have changed, he says. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So this is some pretty heavy language. There's nobody else that can be described like this, right? Uh, This is why if you read John's writing in John chapter one, verse one, he begins, I mean, he begins with just like guns blazing. He says, let me just describe who Jesus is. In the beginning, which to the reader, they would immediately think Genesis chapter 1 because that's the language. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John says, in the beginning, let me take you back to that time. So that's immediately where the listener's mind is. Are oh, you talking about before human history? Yeah, John says, that's it. In the beginning, he says, was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So all of a sudden, you're getting some really powerful statements about the pre-existence of Jesus Christ that harkens back to when God created the world. That's why the author of Hebrews says, through whom also he created the world. So this is all shared understanding of who Jesus is post-resurrection. Before that, his followers didn't completely understand everything about him. But because they encountered his resurrected body and they ate with him and they spoke with him and they they heard him teach for 40 days after his resurrection, 
they all said, okay, now we understand. There's something extraordinarily unique about Jesus. He did what he said he was going to do. Then he goes on. Whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God. And he is the, he is the exact imprint of his nature. The Greek word for exact imprint, let, let, me, um, let me give it to you. This is the Greek pronunciation. Character. Character. Isn't that interesting? So you read it that way. And, and this is what he's saying. Jesus is the radiance of the glory. You think about the sun in our solar system. It radiates heat and light. It's, it's, it's the experience of what the sun is. That's what the author's saying. Jesus is the experience of who God is. But he is also the character of God. People ask the question, we just want to know what God is like. The answer is simple. Jesus. If you want to know, you can't get to know God without knowing Jesus. Jesus is the exact imprint, the character of God's divine nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He upholds the universe by his powerful word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So here in this, this I mean, this is just, <laughs> this is three verses, but they're like, bam, it packs a whole lot. He's saying that Jesus fulfills the role of prophet, priest, and king. All three roles in one individual. Uh, now, when he says that Jesus made purification for sins, that's the explicit role of the Old Testament priest, right? Some of you may understand and know that during Old Testament times, once a year on the Day of Atonement, God's man, the priest, the high priest, would be the mediator between God and man to usher in the forgiveness of sins. And here's how it went. Again, on the Day of Atonement, a sacrificial lamb would be brought in. And the sins of the people would symbolically, really literally be placed on that lamb. And then that lamb would be sacrificed. Because in both the Old and New Testament, it's always been the same. The wages of sin is death. And you say, that sounds pretty extreme. But it really, what, what God is doing is, is he's trying to communicate the seriousness of all the things that make this world so wrong that we take lightly. So when you're in the crowd and this lamb is being sacrificed and then actually what the priest would do is he would take a hyssop branch, dip it in the blood of that sacrificed lamb and then he would take it out over the crowd and just... And it's, it's kind of wild because... You're getting some blood splatter on you. And you're like, that's super unnerving and seems kind of gross. It was God's way of saying, do you understand how serious this is? Because you entered into this place thinking one thing, maybe taking your sin kind of lightly, but now you see this animal lose its life and its blood is on you. Do you understand that it's sin that has scarred and fragmented and in general, it's just, it's created this messy world that we live in. So God takes it very, very seriously. We, we tend not to do so. And so in that moment, it was like really, really sobering. 
Jesus fulfilled the role of priest. What he says, he made purification for our sins. So this is why when John the Baptist comes on the scene, he sees Jesus and what does he say? Behold the what? He says he's the Lamb of God. See, it all makes sense. You read the Bible from cover to cover and it all makes perfect sense. It fits together so well. John the Baptist, he was functioning like an Old Testament prophet. That's why he comes walking out of the desert and he's wearing like, you know, really uh, retro-fitting clothing, and he's eating bugs. I mean, the guy was vegan before vegan was a thing, you know? I mean, he's hardcore, and, and he's got, like, sticks in his hair, bugs in his teeth, and everybody's looking at him going, who is this freak? Oh, I see what you're doing. You look like one of those Old Testament guys. And John's like, exactly. I'm here to make way the path of the Lord. Oh, and there he is the Lamb of God, who what? Takes away the sins of the world. See, the Bible fits together so beautifully, both Old and New Testament. Jesus is that bridge. So you see Jesus functioning as a priest, but he's the ultimate priest, more on this um, next week, because he wasn't just this mediator. He actually brought forgiveness of sins through the shedding of his own blood. So he's a different kind of priest, but he's also much better. Again, more on that next week. And then in verse two, it says that Jesus was appointed heir of all things. Verse three says that Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So this is a place reserved for royalty. Additionally, it says that Jesus is sovereign over all creation. The king was God's man appointed to rule over God's people. But that human king was always temporary didn't always do a great job in ruling over the people. So Jesus is a different, newer, better kind of king. And you see the fullness of this in the book of Revelation, and someday we'll get there, but you see Jesus arrive, I mentioned this last week, and he carries this title. The text literally says that it's written on his thigh, King of Kings. First time Jesus came, and this is the Christmas story that we all love. I half joke with you. I've said this many times. The Christmas card that I want to see isn't Jesus in a manger. The Christmas card I want to see is Jesus riding a white horse with his robe dipped in blood, carrying a sword. And it says, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I came to bring peace between you and the God who created you. That's very different. Because when you have peace between you, yourself and the God who created you, only then can there be peace between men. But it starts when you have peace with God. There's a lot of Christology in these three verses. So more on Jesus as king in a few weeks. So Jesus is ultimate priest, ultimate king, but he's also considered a prophet. In verse one, the author contrasts Jesus with the prophets who have come before him. He says, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets long ago. And that's right, you know, they've got their Old Testament, they're familiar with it, they can read about Moses, Daniel, Isaiah, all of these major and minor prophets. They understand that the prophet was God's man to speak on God's behalf to the people. But now, he has spoken to us, this is really cool, by his son. So no prophet, former prophet, was ever considered a son. What he's saying is that now God is speaking to you through a family member, much more personal, uh, a far more intimate knowledge 
of who God is. He doesn't say, the author doesn't say that um, there's a prophet who is greater. Uh, he doesn't say it's, it's a, a prophet um, who is uh, you know, better. He doesn't even say it's a final prophet. He describes Jesus relationally as the kind of prophet who is a son, far superior to just a mere prophet. We don't get a messenger, we get a family member. Other prophets spoke long ago, but God is giving you a prophet who's speaking to you right now. So these are, these are significant human roles, but now all three of them are fulfilled in the person of Jesus. Now, to put this in its proper context, we do have to go back about 3,000 years to the greatest prophet, probably for the people of Israel, and that would have been Moses. Moses was the first major prophet. He wrote the first five books of the Bible. Uh, after Moses, there was a succession of other prophets who spoke and wrote God's words. But, but Moses was super unique because Moses actually said that God would raise up another prophet just like himself. So everybody be looking for him because when that prophet comes on the scene, he's gonna do something really extraordinary. Now, many of his disciples understood this. Uh, not everybody did, so many, of them, many of them understood. That's why in Acts chapter three, verse 22, Peter, as he's giving this sermon, he actually quotes Moses and applies Moses' words to Jesus. And this can be found in Deuteronomy chapter 18. Peter says, Moses said that the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. So Moses says, one day God is gonna raise up a prophet. This prophet's gonna be a lot like me, so be looking for it. So question, how is Jesus like Moses? Well, uh, both spoke on God's behalf. Um, both were rejected by God's people. Even some of the miracles were similar. Moses parted the sea. Jesus uh, walked on the water. Um, Jesus calmed a storm on the sea. Um, when Jesus came on the scene, uh, people questioned who he was and his leadership. Same thing with Moses. But you know, Moses was God's man to deliver the people and to save them, literally to give them life. And that's exactly the role that Jesus was going to play as well. And this is why in Luke chapter seven, there's this really curious scene where uh, there's this, this mom has a child, has a son, it's her only child. And uh, there's like a, this funeral procession and as the casket goes by, I love the text because it literally says that the heart of Jesus was moved with compassion. And you know, I've done a number of uh, memorial services or funerals for parents who have lost a child. And that's a really unique group. Very often I'll say, you know, you're in a, you're in a class all unto yourselves, you'd never ask to be in that group. Uh, but I think perhaps more than any other, you understand the heart of God because God also knows what it's like to lose a child. And so as this casket goes by, the heart of Jesus is moved for this lady. And what Jesus does is, the text tells us he touches the casket and the dude comes back to life. And notice the response of the people. Luke chapter seven, verse 16. Fear seized them all. Yeah, because the guy was like coming and like knocking on the casket wood. I'm not dead, you know, open up, open up. And they glorified God saying, notice what they say. A great prophet has arisen from among us. Jesus was doing the work 
of a prophet. Now, the thing about the prophet is, if you ignored his voice, it wasn't going to go well for you. Old Testament prophets were constantly calling the people back to God, saying, hey, you know, if you obey God, he's going to bless you. If you disobey God, oh, man, it's not going to go well for you. So don't ignore the voice of a prophet as he's calling you back to God. That's why Peter continues sharing this in the very next verse, Acts 3, 22 and 23. He says, you shall listen to him, Jesus, in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. He says, listen to everything Jesus tells you. Because if you don't, it's not going to go well for your soul. Uh, every soul who does not listen will be destroyed. Because the prophet spoke on behalf of God, it was as if you were ignoring God by ignoring the voice of the prophet. Uh, This is a nod to another one of Jesus' titles, Savior, again, which we'll get into a few weeks from now. But Jesus himself said, here's the thing you need to know about, about me as a prophet. Listen to the words that I'm saying because I'm speaking on behalf of God. God is telling you that you cannot get to him without going through me. There is no no way, no way to access the Father but through me. And so in our modern times, we really don't like to hear that because we, we do not like exclusivity. That seems very intolerant. That seems extremely shallow and narrow-minded. And in our culture, we, we don't like those things. But in reality, This is the most gracious and loving thing that Jesus could say because he'll go on to say what I'm offering you, the life, the things that will feed your soul, ultimately eternal life, it doesn't cost you anything. It comes to you freely. But it's gonna cost me everything. It's gonna cost me my life. So these aren't, don't think in terms of exclusivity or intolerance, think of this as actually the most loving thing that Jesus could say because he's speaking truth to you more on that. In in a second, Peter says, don't ignore the voice of Jesus. Jesus is the prophet that Moses spoke of. Now, some of the Jews that were surrounding Jesus, they're scratching their heads a little bit. They're trying to put all this together. Is this the right guy? Is, Is this the one that Moses spoke about? We understand the prophecies. We read them. Someone like Moses. Boy, it sure seems like Jesus might be that guy, but I don't know, right? This is why following the feeding of the 5,000, the people said in John chapter 6, some of them said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Notice the crowd doesn't say this is a prophet. They say this is the prophet. These are the people who are reading their Old Testament understanding what Moses said and they're thinking this is the guy this is absolutely him they had Moses words in Deuteronomy in mind Jesus himself puts it directly to the disciples in Matthew chapter 16 he says to them who do people say that the son of man is remember Jesus had two titles for himself son of man referring to his human uh, humanity son of God referring to his deity so he says who do people say that the son of man is what are people saying about me and they said some say you're like John the Baptist others say Elijah others say you're like Jeremiah or notice one of the prophets. So in general, people were kind of unsure. They weren't totally settled. They didn't have this category for prophet, priest, king, Messiah, especially when Jesus suffers. That completely blows everybody's mind. And so they're kind of twisted up inside trying to figure it out. Who is this guy, Jesus? Well, in John chapter seven, Jesus puts it all together for himself. He's teaching in the temple. And, uh, and, and the people, the crowd, they're amazed by the depth of his understanding and insights into their sacred texts. Then Jesus gives this crescendo moment in the sermon when he says, anybody who's thirsty, 
come to me and I will give them living water. And here's how the crowd responds. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Now, in Isaiah chapter 9, that, the prophet there actually says that the Messiah will be doing ministry in Galilee. And guess what? Jesus is baptized and begins his ministry where? In Galilee. So the crowd is starting to put things together. Is this the guy? Yeah. Well, don't, isn't he supposed to be from Galilee? Yeah, he's supposed to be from Galilee. That's where, and that's, wasn't Jesus baptized there at the Jordan in Galilee? Yeah, yeah, he was. Okay, check that off. But then others say that, that the Christ comes from the offspring of David. Uh, well, and this is why the New Testament authors, when they start the book of, uh, when they start their, their introduction to Jesus, a couple of them begin with Jesus' genealogy, and what do they do? They trace Jesus' line, lineage, through David, because they know that's what the Old Testament says. So, all right, check that box off. And, and then some say, well, isn't he supposed to come from Bethlehem? Now, this is really crazy, the village where David was. So, in, in Micah chapter 5, the prophecy is given that the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. Okay, so that's where Jesus is from, Bethlehem. Bethlehem is a very obscure, out of the way, it's not even a one stoplight town. And people are like, well, that's what the prophet Micah talks about that. Okay, check that box off too. So you see, people are understanding, but they're using the scriptures as their guide to tell them who the Messiah is. Good for them. But there was a division over the people among him because some of them wanted to arrest him, specifically the religious leaders, because Jesus posed a threat. But no one laid hands on him. So not everybody agrees who Jesus is, but they all agree that he's extraordinary. The people said when he speaks, he speaks with authority. Nobody speaks like him. Upon his arrest, the soldiers actually fall down. Don't think that Jesus couldn't have gotten himself out of that situation. But according to the prophecies, everything that happened to Jesus, his arrest, his trial, his crucifixion, all of that was foretold by the prophets. Other prophets spoke on behalf of God, but they stood shoulder to shoulder with man. Jesus is a prophet who speaks on behalf of God, but he stands above men, pointing the way to God through himself. One of the unique things about a prophet is that he or she spoke of future events. So they foretold of wars, uh, famines, they could determine election results, uh, but they also talked about the Messiah. We mentioned some of those, where he would be born, uh, the manner of his uh, death, Isaiah, with incredible pinpoint ac accuracy. He speaks of the crucifixion, um, the times, the places, the ministry, all of that stuff. So we would expect Jesus to speak in prophetic ways too, and he did. Um, he told of future events, but he did so in a, in a unique way because not only did he t foretell of those events, but then he fulfilled them through his own uh, death and resurrection. That's why Matthew chapter 16, we read this. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and that he would be killed. And then he would tell them that he had, on the third day, he said, I'm gonna be raised again. So here, here's what I wanna say. So for, for those of you, and maybe even for those that are listening online, even at some point in time, you might be the most ardent skeptic of Christianity. Welcome. This is the right place for you. And here's what I would say to you. Something to think about. Who predicts the manner in which he will die? Who predicts the people that will actually deliver him up 
to die. Who, pre who predicts that he will come back from the dead three days later? All of that is absurd and ridiculous. It's like, it just sounds made up. Jesus did it. There is a reason why to this day, 2,000 years later, there are hundreds of millions of Christians the world over because something happened that changed the course of human history. Jesus' earliest followers were in serious doubt about who he was immediately after he hung on that cross. But when they saw the resurrected Jesus, everything changed. So Jesus not only made prophetic predictions, but he fulfilled them. After he rose from the dead, there's all these crazy interactions that he has, right? There's these couple of his disciples, they're leaving Jerusalem, they're walking down this road, on, uh, and, and <laughs> Jesus appears to them. They don't recognize him. And Jesus is like, what are you guys talking about? And they're kind of like, man, where have you been? Um, everybody's talking about what happened in, in Jerusalem. There was this guy that we followed, and what they say is, he was a prophet, but they crucified him. They killed him. And Jesus says, you know, you should really pay attention to what the prophets have spoken before about the coming Messiah because they said that the Messiah would be suffering and die. And then in Luke chapter 24, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures, that would be the Old Testament scriptures, the things concerning himself. All of the Old Testament points forward to Jesus. All of the prophecies, they point forward to Jesus. It, all of it find, its, find its, their fulfillment in Jesus. So let's pause here at this point and ask this question. What in the world does this mean for you and I today? This is the so what. Well, I'll tell you one thing it means. God can be trusted. Let me say that again. And I want you to hear this. God can be trusted. He told you that there was a forthcoming Messiah. The moment Adam and Eve fell, God began this rescue plan. You see it in seed form in Genesis chapter two, and God says, there will come forth one born from a woman who will redeem mankind. But there's gonna be this spiritual battle. Satan will, will receive a fatal wound. If you read the book of Revelation, you get the fullness of that fatal wound. Jesus himself will receive a wound. That wound occurred at the cross, but it wasn't fatal. Genesis chapter two, God begins laying out his redemption plan for mankind. You see the fullness of it in Revelation. Everything in between, guys, is one fulfilled promise after another. Now here's the challenge for you and I. Sometimes there's some time that goes by in between those prophecies, prophecies when they're made and when they're fulfilled. And that's kind of challenging because we want everything now. I want, I want the, the prophetic word yesterday and I want it fulfilled today. But there's time that goes by, why? Because what happens in that time zone? Faith is grown. Faith is stretched. God is doing things in you, to you, through you that would otherwise not happen if it weren't for the course of time. So he said he would send a great prophet. He did. 
Lauren, let me ask you, what's happening in your life right now? What are the circumstances? What is the heartache? What is the pain? What is the temptation? What is it that's leading you away from God? In John chapter six, Jesus feeds several thousand people, but with a miracle, just like a small lunch, he feeds several thousand people. And afterwards, there's so many leftovers, he could feed the people again, and everybody's like, we love this Jesus guy. We're totally down with him. And then his disciples get in a boat. They cross the sea. Jesus joins them. He calms the storm. People gather on the other side because they, they want the show. They, they're into the food. But Jesus doesn't do any of that. He completely, he changes course on them. And he gives them the spiritual lesson behind the miracle of feeding them. And what does he say? You all return because you want some more free food. But now let me just drop this on you. Bread alone will not give you life. If you want to find life, you got to feast on my words. You're going to have to take my life up into your life. Make my life your life and then your soul will be satisfied. That's the living water that he spoke of. That's why he says, I am the bread of life. You all came for a free meal. He says, but we're not doing that anymore. And the text literally says that the crowd didn't just leave him, but the crowd rejected him. They said, nope, not having any more of you, man. Not, 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 didn't meet our expectations. Don't want to have anything to do with you. And Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, do you guys want to cruise too? And Peter gives the perfect response. Where are we going to go? Who else speaks like you do? When you speak, your words give us life. What he's implying is that we act on what you say. We, the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Take it into your life. And it's not even a question in the Greek. It's actually a statement. It's, a, it's not a question like, who else has words of life? Who? Can you answer that? No, it's like, nobody. Nobody speaks the words that you speak. So here, here's the reality of our situation. Life is constantly, constantly putting us in this position of making a choice. And it's the choice between what we feel, what we like, what we feel, and what we like, and the choice between what is true. And our culture is very good at, at encouraging us to pursue what, fe- what we feel and what we like. Meanwhile, Jesus is shouting, but this is true. My words are true. And these things, they're going to give you a temporary satisfaction, but this is going to feed your soul. Who are you following? Who are you listening to? What is giving you life? Judas had something to follow. He followed the money and was bankrupt in every way. The woman at the well followed relationships, and she was empty inside. The one-talent servant followed the path of least resistance and was left empty-handed. Pilate followed the path of public opinion and he missed the truth that was standing in front of him. Let me say that again. Pilate was like the Instagram influencer of his day. He lived for the retweet. He lived for the like. And he had the truth standing in front of him but he was so blinded by the cultural moment he was in, 
he couldn't even recognize it. He put the question out there even. He asked, what is truth? If he would have only just stopped and listened and paid attention, the truth was standing in front of him. So it's, uh, you know, all of this, by the way, begins by having a relationship with Jesus. And that's the invitation. Um, Just like any relationship, the two pillars are trust and respect. If there's a third, it's communication. Uh, But Jesus began the conversation by dying on the cross for our sins. And clearly, he's stating his love for us. The greater the sacrifice, the greater the love. That's what's so precious about the Lord's Supper or communion because we're reminded of the depth of sacrifice made for us and what that translates into is love. Christian, you are so loved. I guess we are bringing an Advent theme back. Kind of hard not to when you're talking about Jesus. You are so loved. The proof of that is on the cross. So that's, this is why Jesus is just absolutely brilliant. Of all the things he could say, remember. Remember me, remember me. What do, you, what do you want me to remember? I want you to remember my death because it communicates everything I want you to know. Mercy, grace, forgiveness, love. So I'm gonna pray. Uh, Chris is gonna come up, he's gonna lead us. But I wanna give you some time just to think about that. Right? We're not gonna go right into the elements immediately. I want to give you some time to just really prayerfully contemplate what all of this means to you, specifically the voice of Jesus' prophet. So, Father, as we enter into this time, God, we ask that you would speak to every heart in the room, no matter where they're at, even those, those that are far from you. Lord, in some way, I pray that your love would just melt that, <laughs> whatever resists. For the skeptic, Father, may they even during this moment contemplate um, these truths. But Father, your words through Jesus, the greatest of all prophets, they do give us life, and we're so thankful for that. As we enter into this time, God, remind us of that. Remind us of the love, the mercy, the grace, the truth, all the things that we find in Jesus that feed our souls. May the voice of this world become smaller and smaller and smaller, and that we would make the voice of Jesus so prominent and loud. Speak to us now through your spirit, we pray. In your son's name, amen.